want to welcome you guys this morning. If you're wondering who I am, my name's Tony. I have the privilege of serving here. If you're wondering why these big doors are open, uh, it's a little different. Uh, so we've, a number of weeks now, we've run out of seating in here. And so we're trying to figure out how to do Sunday morning without duplicating and burning people out and trying to do two services. So we're opening these up as a way of saying, you know, what we're going to do is open these up to make more space so folks can sit. So if you want a chair, we have chairs over here. If you'd rather sit in a pew, those ones are cushioned. Uh, feel free. So we have uh, kids. If you're a kid and you would like to hang out with other kids, Miss Jeannie's over there. Uh, if you want, if you're on this side, Miss Jeannie will be right through those doors. You can see her connect. Got the little train of kids. Now, if you have a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler, middle schoolers and high schoolers are meeting every Sunday at 9 a.m. downstairs. Uh, are Aaron and Claire in here? Aaron and Claire, maybe move out this way so everyone can see. I don't know if everyone can see. This is Aaron. Aaron is uh, leading our youth. So if you are a parent of a middle school or high school or haven't met Aaron, introduce yourself. He'd love to meet you. Thank you, Aaron. There you go. All right, so if you're new visiting, checking us out, we're journeying through the Gospel of John. We've been doing this since May. And uh, we just went through chapter 9 last week. Uh, and one of the things that happens in chapter 9 is there's this guy who's born blind that's healed on the Sabbath. It leads to all these division, all these questions. And then towards the end, the guy says, Oh, Jesus, you, he falls at his feet and worships Jesus as Messiah, as Lord. And then as we shift into chapter 10, it's sort of this interesting jump, particularly as modern people. Right? There's division, questions about who Jesus is, and then he starts talking about shepherds, sheep, and gates. And as modern people, it's like, how does that make sense? Like division, healing, and son of man, Messiah, and then we're talking about shepherds and sheep. So I want to sort of do a little bit of the mosaic that John is touching upon, uh, why it actually is intuitive for a first century person that Jesus would immediately, in a context of who he is, start talking about shepherds and sheep. Now, most of us know if we go back to the Old Testament, we see, I'm going to move up here. I think you guys will be able to see me better. Then I won't be sort of, there you go. Is that better? Now do you feel like I'm talking to you too? There we go. Uh, sorry. The worship team's like, no, don't move my stuff. Sorry. So we get, you know, Psalm 23 is probably the most famous. The Lord is my shepherd. Well done. Well done, congregation. Right, we see David. David is a shepherd boy who becomes Israel's king. And we see throughout the prophets, there's time and time again, they're addressing Israel's leaders as shepherds. They're like, hey, you guys, you're just in it for yourselves. You're blind. You're using the sheep. You're basically selling them out to the wolves in your midst. One of the, probably the most important, though, for understanding shepherds and sheep in the first century is actually Ezekiel 34. It's the book in the chapter you read all the time. So Ezekiel 34 is an super important, though, in the first century on how people were looking for the Messiah. So Ezekiel 34 is all about, Ezekiel's like, man, you guys are abandoning the sheep. You're basically giving them over to the wolves in your midst. But just one day, Ezekiel's like, there will be a shepherd who will come and he will lead all the sheep. This is how it reads. I just want to focus on this one part uh, you can read the rest of the chapter on your own. It says this, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, 
and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Right? So this text is pointing to a day in the future when God will appoint someone in the line of David to save Israel, and this person will function like a shepherd over Israel. So when we get to chapter 10, one of the primary questions that the audience is asking, right? We end chapter 9 and they're like, well, what's he going to look like? Is Jesus this shepherd or not? One of the questions that Jesus is answering in this teaching is what will the shepherd come to save Israel look like? And this is how he starts. This is John 10, 21. I'm going to do it in four chunks. So this is verses 1 through 6. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. All right. Now, I just presumed at the outset that we don't know a ton about first century shepherding practices. I mean, are there any shepherds in the room? No? Okay. So first century shepherding, usually there's like a fold and it's either out in the wild or it's attached to the side of a house. Now, shepherds are 100% essential in the first century. This is not like sort of lose your image of like sheep in a pen in Ireland, okay? So, you know, sheep in a pen in Ireland, it's like a 50-yard fenced thing. There's grass everywhere. The shepherd basically absconds for the year, and the sheep have plenty to eat year-round, right? First century Israel, not the same. There is no fence track. The sheep are all over the place. And they need a shepherd to guide them because there's not enough grass in one place. So they're like walking all day trying to find the patches of grass so the sheep can live. There's also wild animals, right? There are actually wild animals that are trying to kill these sheep. So they need the shepherd. Now, one of the things that's interesting is Jesus talks about in this text sort of this, there's a stranger and there's a shepherd and then this idea of knowing the voice. Do you pick up on that? So in the first century, what would happen is the shepherd would come in the morning and he would call to the sheep and the sheep would come out to him. He would know their names and they would know his voice. And often there was actually multiple flocks in one fold. So the shepherd would come and say, all right, Billy, Bobby, Jane, whatever. And they'd sort of walk out, right? And he would know them and they would know him. N.T. Wright has this quote. He says this, to this day in the Middle East, a shepherd will go out into a crowded sheepfold and call out his own sheep one by one, naming them. They will recognize his voice and come to him. The shepherd, after all, spends most hours of most days in their company. He knows their individual character, markings, likes, and dislikes. What's more, they know him. They know his voice. Someone else can come to the sheepfold and they won't go near him. Even if he calls the right names, they are listening for the, vo- the one voice that matters. Right, the voice they trust. 
There's this connection between the shepherding, between the shepherd and the sheep. They know one another. So the shepherd shows up in the morning, even though there's multiple folds in there, this sheep is able to follow the shepherd. Now, another point in here we'll get to in a bit, but what happens is the sheep follow the shepherd, right? They only, they only lead the butcher, right? They follow the shepherd, right? The butcher chases them out of the fold. They follow the shepherd because the shepherd is the one who guides them. Now, this is a little abstract for the Pharisees, right? Jesus used this phrase, but he doesn't identify his role. You notice that? He doesn't say, I am this or I am that. He's just like, there's a shepherd and sheep and they know his voice. So they don't quite get it. Then we get to verses 7 through 10. And this is where Jesus makes it a little more personal. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right, so Jesus goes from this abstract thing about sheep and shepherds and voice to now identifying in a pretty concrete way, saying, I am the gate. Now for us, we're thinking, the gate? What, is, what does that mean? Well, again, first century Israel. There's a, a fold out in the wild. And often what the shepherd would do at night was lay in the gate to provide a physical barrier for thieves and for animals. So he literally lie in that space, functioning as the gate, the way in to the sheep and to the fold. Two, what we see is that in the Hebrew scriptures, there's actually talk about a gate. Psalm 1820 is a good example. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. There's this idea that Jesus applied here, right? He is the one. He is the means. He is the gate. He is the way to the abundant life in the kingdom, right? Verse nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture, right? So Jesus is the means for people to find safety in the fold, and he is the means for them to go out to the abundant life to eat the grass outside of the fold. He is the one who stands in the way of the wolf, Jesus says something similar in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Sometimes we think of the gate primarily in terms of safety. But what he says here is pretty amazing. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come. Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? Just as Jesus provided abundant wine in John 2 at the wedding in Cana, just as he provided abundant bread in the wilderness in John 6, so he provides abundant pasture to the sheep. John Piper has this great quote. He says this, None of us wants to be merely safe. We're not created merely for safety. Right? The human heart wants infinitely more than safety. Oh yes, yeah, safety is basic and necessary. We want to be protected from what can destroy us. We want life. Life. But we want more than mere life. We want abundant life. Overflowing life. Deep life. Weighty life. Joyful 
life. We don't want to just survive. We want to thrive at every level of our human being. Right? Jesus is not merely the shepherd that keeps them safe in the fold and protects them from the wolves. Right? He is the door to human flourishing. He is the door to hope, to joy, to peace, all that we look for to thrive as human creatures. Right? But he isn't finished yet. In verses 15, he goes on. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks in the flock, the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. All right, so Jesus isn't just a door or a gate. He's also the good shepherd. And he contrasts himself specifically with this hired hand, right? So there's this guy who's hired. He doesn't really care about the sheep. He doesn't really know the sheep. So when the wolf comes, he bails. He's like, I am not getting bit by a wolf for these sheep. Jesus instead, right, he says, no, no, no. Like, I care about these sheep. I know these sheep. So I lay my life down for them. Now, if you remember at the beginning, one of the questions that we're wrestling, one of the questions of why they're talking about sheep and folds and shepherds is this question coming out of John 9. How do we identify the Messiah? How do we identify the Son of Man? Jesus answers that question here. The Son of Man is the one who doesn't abandon his sheep, but actually lays his life down for the sheep. What do we see in John 9? Right? There's a man who's born blind, but what happens? Right? He gets kicked out of the synagogue. They're insulting him. The rulers, the Pharisees are. They're kicking him out. They're behaving like a, a hired hand. Jesus says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. Right? Translated from the parable to life. Jesus doesn't abandon the world to sin, suffering, evil. He comes into the world, takes on human flesh, enters into the mess, into the sheepfold, right? And then he dies on a cross to set us free, right? So that we and the world might experience the fullness of life. Now in verses 14 and 15, it's kind of interesting. Jesus says this, he says, I know my sheep and the sheep know me. I know the father and the father knows me. Sometimes we think of knowledge, particularly in our culture, as like knowledge as information or knowledge about an object. Like two plus two is four. I know that. Duh. You know, my daughter says that all the time. Duh. That's not how we understand knowledge in a Hebraic frame. Knowledge is about relationship. So what Jesus is saying is the shepherd and the sheep have a relationship. They know each other. They spend time together. They know each other's voice. So Jesus and the father know each other. They have a connection. They have a relationship. And Jesus is saying that those who are saved, those who walk through the gate will experience abundance of life in relationship with the Father, living into the kingdom. Which brings us then to verses 16 through 18. It says this, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I have received from my father. Right, so in the first century, there's a basic assumption uh, based on sort of the narrative of salvation history that we see in the scriptures that Israel is the sheepfold of God. But there's also these echoes as we go through the scriptures of, oh wait, God is going to one day bring all people under his rule, his shepherding, his leadership. And Jesus is alluding to that here. Hey, I love these sheep. I know them. But one day I am going to call forth the sheep that are gathered on a thousand hills. And I'm going to bring them under one, into one fold, under one shepherd. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to die in order to do this. Now, a good shepherd or a dead shepherd is not very helpful to sheep in general. Uh, but this shepherd is resurrected and raised to life, right? No one forces him to die. He lays it down. There's this really beautiful quote by Beasley Murray uh, in the Word Biblical Commentary. He says this, The mutual love of the Father and Son thus was seen in a deed of love for the world, in which the Father in love, willed to save all, and the Son in love freely gave his all. Right? So you have this unity of Father and Son, both beating with love for the world, giving themselves to the world, trying to rescue people that are trapped, right? That are haunted by the wolf prowling outside the pen. And at this point, right, Jesus finishes talking about himself, the sheep, the shepherd, and then we're left at the end with the response. Verses 19 to 21. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. You know, why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right, echoing back to John 9. They're wrestling with, who is Jesus Is he really the shepherd king come back to shepherd the flock of God's people? Or is he not? Which then brings us back to sort of modern day and I think our question of how do we respond? Right, this text was written a while ago. How do we make sense of it in our lives today? I think three things in particular I just want to kind of highlight quickly. One is Jesus is the one who calls. And on a deep level, I think my question to you in sort of the simplest terms is, are you hearing his voice? And when you're thinking about being an apprentice of Jesus, do you hear his voice? Do you make space to hear his voice? I mean, let's go back to first century shepherding. Shepherd shows up at the fold. He looks out, you know, he yells for the sheep. Hey, Bobby, Jilly, Jane, whatever, you know. I don't know, Jilly, I guess is a funny name for a sheep. Well, maybe sheeps have that name. Anyway, calls out to the sheep. The sheep know his voice and they know their name and then they come. But even more than that, then he leads them, right? He calls them and then they follow him into the wild to get into good pasture, to experience abundant life. I think sometimes we think, especially like if we're new to sort of Jesus and trying to get a sense of like, what does it look like to follow him? Sometimes we just think, you know what? 
Like, this should be easy. Like, God should be able to speak to us. We should get it, and it's like, done, you know? That's actually not the picture that Jesus offers. Imagine you're, you know, a new sheep in the fold. And there's a shepherd that comes up, but you don't really know the voice of your shepherd yet. So someone comes up, and you follow him, and then your shepherd's like, no, 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 that's not my voice. All right, puts him back in the fold. Another shepherd comes up, calls for them. He's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not my voice. Right? There's a learning process for the sheep, and there's a learning process for us. I think sometimes we expect, like, hearing the voice of God should be the simplest thing ever. It's like God speaks, we hear, done, you know? That's not our presumption. It's one of the reasons, in fact, that we talk about practices a lot, rhythms a lot. This is why we talk about ABLE all the time. If you're new to us, ABLE is simply this. It's an acronym, uh, and there are four practices we invite everyone in this body to do on a weekly basis. A, attend to the voice and presence of God. Make some time in your week to just listen and be present to the voice of God because we need to learn how to listen, right? B, bless people inside and outside the church each week, right? L, learn from the scriptures each week. E, eat with people inside and outside the church in order to foster community and be a blessing in the world. I want to focus on A, right? Are we making space in our lives to listen? Do you know your shepherd's voice? when he speaks. And we live in a culture where there's all kinds of voices telling us, do this, do that, do this, do that. Are you able to discern when God is leading or when your friend is or your parents are or someone else? Like, do you have the ability to learn? Right, when we go back to first century rabbinic discipleship, right, these guys were following in the steps of their rabbi. Jesus is walking, and they're supposed to be so close to the, the sandal flick of their rabbi, right, that the dust of his sandals is flicking off on their robes. We don't have that, right? We don't have Jesus literally walking in front of us. We have two things. We have the scriptures, and we have the Spirit speaking and guiding us. Are we listening? God is speaking. And this is why we talk about practices all the time. Maybe for you, you're like, I have no idea. Maybe just start taking five minutes a day and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to set five minutes a day. I'm going to slow down and I'm going to practice. And then maybe find a mentor, someone that you respect and say, hey, this is what I did this week. What do you think? This is what I heard or didn't heard here. And just get some feedback. Jesus is the one calling. Second, I want to say, Jesus is the one who gives. Right? Jesus, as the shepherd, is not only calls, he also gives himself for us. Right? In the parable, he goes out to meet the wolf, to defend the sheep. Right? Jesus is the one who dies on the cross to set us free so that we can experience abundant life. And there's two ways, I think, to run with this. One is to talk about Jesus, because clearly this is a passage about who Jesus is and what he does for us, right? As helpless, broken creatures with wayward hearts, Jesus gives himself for us that we can experience life. Also, Jesus is the one we follow. Sometimes I think we think of Jesus as self-giving love purely in terms of the cross. But if you actually look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus lives a life of self-giving love from the beginning of his ministry to the cross. And the cross is actually a culmination of the self-giving love that led up to it. 
So what that means then as disciples of Jesus, as apprentices of the way of Jesus, we are invited to live the same kind of self-giving love that Jesus exemplified in his ministry. I realize that could be a little abstract. Let me get practical again, right? Let's go back to Abel, right? B and E, right? Bless. So you can look at this pretty clearly. Look at your last week. Did you make time to be a blessing? to offer yourself to people in this community or outside of it as a way of saying, this is the rabbi, this is the Jesus I follow. He was a blessing in the world. I want to be shaped into his image. When you look at your life, do you see that? Right, E, right, eating. Eating is a way of saying, including people into our rhythm of life in friendship, and as a blessing to those outside to embody the welcome of God. When you look at your last week, this last month, do you see yourself making room for other people? Right? This is what Jesus the Good Shepherd does. He makes room for us and leads us to abundant pasture. Are we the kind of people that are, are a blessing, that are welcoming people into our table saying, come, eat, be with us, experience the goodness of God? This isn't like an either-or thing. This is a transformative process. I would just invite you to consider, like when you look at your life, does it have the marks of Jesus, the shepherd who lays down his life for others? Or does it have the marks of our culture, which is primarily about, you know, us? YOLO, right? You only live once, so rock it for yourself. As apprentices of Jesus, we are invited to offer ourselves to the world, to each other. Which brings me to the last one. Jesus is also the gate to life. This is the basic flow, right? If we are listening to the voice of God, we're going to follow him in ways that are self, sort of ways of self-giving love to be a blessing to the world. And through that process, what we see is we experience abundant life. The thing is interesting, right? Sometimes I think when we think, oh, self-giving love, this is going to be hard. This is going to really be terrible. I'm actually having to not focus on me and focus on someone else. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. But what Jesus actually says is that when we listen to his voice, when we follow him, what do we get? Abundant life. Life to the full. God is not interested in making us martyrs. He is interested in transforming us into his image that we can be a blessing in the world. And through that process, experience the life and hope and peace of God. Verse 10, I have come. Jesus came. He took on human flesh. He walked into the neighborhood. He came into the pew next to you, moved in next door so that you could experience life. And not just life as in breathing in and out your heart beating, but abundant life. Now, the truth is, though, this isn't the narrative that our culture offers, right? So our cultural narrative, I was trying to think of like, what is flourishing? Like, if you could define it, it would be something like this. An unlimited bank account, and unlimited vacation, right? So you have the money to buy or do whatever you want and the time to just do whatever you wanted. You're going to awesome, have awesome experiences. You're going to have awesome adventures. You're going to buy cool gadgets so then you can do those awesome experiences and adventures. Great. Nothing wrong with that. 
But it is not the path to abundant life that Jesus says that, you know, he's not saying, hey, you know what? Do that. He's saying, listen to my voice as a sheep listens to a shepherd. Follow my example as a sheep follows a shepherd, follow me. And what is he saying? I will lead you to the green pastures. I am the one who is the gate, right, to safety, but also to abundance. John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I think as we enter worship, I think my primary question to us is, do you trust him? Do you actually believe him? That he is speaking voices, calling you to himself. Right? That he is actually the gate to life and flourishing. Right? That his model of self-giving love actually is for your benefit and the benefit of the world. Do you trust him? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we see in this text that you are the good shepherd. You are the gate, God. So we just say, help us to know you more as the one who shepherds and leads our lives. Help us to see you as the true gate to flourishing, that you are the one that we go to to experience sonship, inclusion in your kingdom but you are also the one that leads us out to the green pastures to abundant life and flourishing in your kingdom. God, that you don't want bad things for us. You invite us to trust you, that you are a good shepherd. You're not a hired hand. You are not going to leave or forsake us. You died for us and you continue to live for us that we may experience your life. May we enter into that reality this morning. And God, as we sing these songs, I just pray that the words we say, whether they connect to our heart or whether we're just saying them, God, I pray that you would use these words to transform us. That as we sing them, God, we would believe them. That as we sing them, we would embrace them as our own. God, you are calling us right now, saying, come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. Give your lives to me, and I will bring you to a place of abundance. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us that we may know you and love you and worship you and throw our lives at the foot of your cross that we may be transformed in your presence.